Welcome to All Things Tibet, a podcast hosted by Taylor and Brittany. We'll be coming to you with brand new episodes every Tuesday. If you want to tweet along as you listen, feel free to use the hashtag AllThingsTibetPod. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. This is episode four of All Things Tibet. I'm Brittany. I'm Taylor. And today we are talking all things Tina. And we're doing Tina first because I feel like Bet always goes first. Always. And I think Tina deserves to go first for once in her life. So I here agree. we are. It's always Bet and Tina. It's never Tina and Bet, though it is funny that we call them Tibet. But when we say their names, I feel like it's always Bet and Tina. Yeah. I know this is the episode you were the most excited about. So I, well, I am because it's like, this is like my bread and butter, you know, this is what I do is delve into a character's head and dig around and kind of examine them. And I love this character to death. So yeah, I am, I'm pretty stoked, especially because, and we were talking about this a bit in our analysis of the second part of the pilot that you have to do a lot of work where Tina's concerned to really understand who she is and why she does the things she does. And even in trying to stitch together this episode, you and I were just sitting here going, I mean, I think it's this, but they don't really tell us or they tell us two different things. And, you know, you kind of just have to take the product that you got and interpolate from there. So I guess that's, that's our goal for this episode is to kind of examine what we do know, what we don't know, and maybe what some of our guesses are for what's filling in the blanks. So I think the way we're going to break this down is we'll talk first about things we know about Tina, and then we'll talk about Tina's relationships, which include family, friends, and romantic, which obviously a big portion of that is going to be bet. I'm just going to list off a couple things and then we can talk about it more. How's that sound? That sounds great. All right. She is a mother to one. She has had two abortions. She has a very successful career. She had a scare with skin cancer. She had a miscarriage prior to Angie. And when she had Angie, she had a C-section. The first woman that she was ever with was Bet, which we'll talk more about in the relationship section. It's worth noting that she learned a dirty talk from Brenda. Okay. It's worth mentioning. It's just a fact. You know, you know how about Tina. You know how in one of the episodes you dragged me for loving James. I feel like Brenda is your James. Yeah, I think she might be. I think there's a couple things here. I think I loved how playful Brenda and Tina were. Number one, and I just think Brenda's beautiful. So yeah, and she's not like a beautiful bitch. She's not like Kelly Wentworth. Like she's so just like humble and nice and I I don't know I just I really like her character even though we literally only see her for like what two episodes I know how come we only how come we got Henry for longer than we got Brenda is my question okay so oh she has a tattoo on her foot which shout out to Sarah B because she always reminds me that her wife Emma has the same tattoo in the same place does she really I'm pretty sure it's in the same place I know for sure it's the same tattoo and if I'm retelling history right, Emma did not know Laurel had that tattoo. That's even better. Anyway, so how about you tell us about her relationships, what we know about her relationships? Okay, well, 
first of all, I would like to begin this by saying that I believe the only reference we get to Tina's family in the actual canon of the series Mm -hmm. is this weird kind of one-off joke that Bette makes when Mm -hmm. Tina's not even there. It's when they're all sitting around talking about gold star lesbians and I don't even remember who says that someone's mom was like a lone star because that was the only person they ever loved or whatever. I think it whatever. was Angus. That was I was, when, yeah. That was when Dana right. was sick and they were all uh, like poolside and. Yeah. Where, yeah. where was, she? oh, Tina was with Henry at that point. No, she was in Vancouver. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Hooking up like with that the, guy. Hooking up with the, what was his the name? The biphobic Josh. asshole. Josh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And Bet makes this comment of like, oh, Tina's mom was a lone star too, which is, it's a weird comment for Bet to make out of nowhere when Tina's not there. And if the interrogation tape is canon, Bet would never have met Tina's mother. I guess we'll get into this a little bit later, but I guess it would maybe make sense because I feel like Tina's upbringing probably had a lot to do with why she was closeted for as long as she was and Mm -hmm. a lot of her repression. And I think that her childhood in many ways was very influential on who she is as a person. So I could see it coming up in conversation over the course of their relationship. So it's not out of the question that she would know. It's just weird, A, that Bette made that comment and B, that that's basically the only reference aside from like that vague thing that Tina says about when they're talking about words for vaginas and she's like, where I grew up, you just used code for it or whatever. And that's, those are the only two things we get about her family. That is it. However, there are two versions here because God forbid the L word pick a cannon. There is the fantasode where we meet Tina's parents and they're still together and they're very conservative. And it's been a while since I've read it. So correct me if I'm wrong, Brittany, but I believe (laughs) Tina's father is basically like kind of disparaging towards Bet, who is unemployed at the time being Mm -hmm. like, how are you going to provide for your family? Tina, what are you doing? Does he make a, your child needs a father comment or? I think. Keep talking. I'll, I'll figure it out. Either way, he is very disparaging towards her and Bet's relationship and the family that they've begun after Angie's born. So that's sort of the first version that we get. And I believe Tina's mom and that was basically just one of those conservative wives that was better than her husband, but just kind of excused his shitty behavior. So that's one version. The other version that we got, which personally to me makes a little more sense at least aspects of it make more sense we got in the interrogation tape Mm -hmm. and the story there briefly i will try is that her father was a very very conservative republican politician he was a mayor for three terms of this town in arizona that's really close to the mexican border he had multiple affairs but they didn't bother her mom until the one that got more emotional than sexual. Mm. And when that happened and he refused to stop, her mother 
I will quote this because I'm not entirely sure what it means, picked up the three of us and moved us to Atlanta, Georgia. Does this mean Tina has two siblings? Mm -hmm. Does it mean her mom and her and the sister that she talks about later? Unknown. Sure. I tend to lean towards the two siblings option because she specifies it's her older sister she's talking about later, but even when they're giving us answers, it's kind of muddy and vague. And she says that her mom died when she graduated from college. And most importantly, I think to me and how I think of Tina as a character is the fact that she was sexually abused by her older sister for three years, either from the ages of 11 to 14 or 12 to 15. And that sister has now become a born-again Christian and has told Tina she's going to hell, even though, you know, she's the one who sexually abused her. So that's the basic rundown of the two glimpses of Tina's story that we get. And I'm going to use my signature podcast line that you indicated as such is that for those of you who don't know, (laughs) between seasons two and three, there was... A contest that went on where you could write in your own unique episode script of what happens after season two. And so they never filmed the episode, right? Nope. We have some pictures that are that seem unique. And they're in the- screenplay format. Yes. Basically, in this particular episode pertinent to Tina and Bet, there's a lot of focus on Tina's upbringing and her parents. And we actually, in the script here, we meet Bill and Joan, who are Tina's parents. And oh my God, are those their names? That's hilarious. Yeah, Bill and Joan, yeah. So we'll link this when we post this episode. But basically, that time, remember, Bet was unemployed. And Bill is, like you said, coming out down pretty hard on Bet about the fact that she's not working. And basically, everything comes to a head when Bill finds out that Angie is half Black. One of the last things he says before they storm out is, he says, your child is black. Tina says, we wanted Angelica to look like both of us. Bill reddens and stands up. Bill says, Joan, let's go. Joan says, Bill. He cuts her off and says, I'm doing my best. You can't expect me to stand here silently while our daughter lives in sin, raises a a biracial baby with no father and no income. Bill storms out. Joan follows. What a dude. What a douche. (laughs) so so i mean i think we can i mean we really can infer whichever version of canon you want to consider tina was definitely raised in a very conservative environment and that actually is very significant because i think you mentioned this the last time we had our let's talk about tina episode You mentioned that it's interesting that Tina does not use sex in the way that a lot of the other characters do. Knowing that Tina came from this very conservative environment, it's not a surprise that she's... I mean, I was going to say I don't want to use the word repressed, but it kind of fits, I would say. Not only sexually, if you want to call it that, because it takes her a long time to figure out she's bisexual... She doesn't use sex in that same way, which isn't a bad thing. It doesn't mean she's stunted. It just means that she was raised to view sex differently than a lot of her more liberally raised friends. But also because we talked about this before, she 
does not talk about her feelings at all, unless she is basically forced to. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless she is literally in a broken down elevator and cannot escape. Or she is just so beyond vulnerable. I think about season four when so much has changed and she says that, you know, I miss being a part of something so special. So she says it directly to Bet. I miss being a part right. of something so special. I miss our friends and how we did things. And she misses her life with Bet because so much has changed because she's been with Henry for, you know, several months at this point. And I think in the beginning, it didn't matter so much because she was pretty consumed at that point with Angie because Angie was a baby. Yeah. But I think the older Angie got, the more she realized, and because she was back working again and she still kind of had a, she was still connected to the group because Jenny was, you know, she was working with Jenny at the time. So she had a deeper insight into it than maybe she did earlier on in her relationship with Henry. And she Miss Bet. Yeah, and she missed her friends too. I mean, I think it's important to note in talking about her relationships that she lost all of her friends when she left Bet and got together with Henry. Mm -hmm. And regardless of what side you fall on, you know, the Bet Tina dynamics of that or Mm -hmm. how you felt about Henry or that storyline or whatever. Mm-hmm. That is a hard thing for a person to go through. Sure. And it's kind of like you were talking about when we were talking about them in one of the earlier episodes that Tina fit herself into Bet's group of friends. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like they each had their friends and then Merged they kind them. of came together. Sure. Tina just, I don't know, did she have friends? Mm-hmm. I assume she must have, mm-hmm. but all of a sudden they were all gone and these are her new people. Mm -hmm. And when she hooked up with a man, that was it. Yeah. She was persona non grata. So I think it's, yes, she missed bet obviously Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. she realized, okay, stability was nice for about five seconds, but there's no passion in this and I'm bored. But I think it also is probably just like, she had no one. And I remember watching Laurel talking to Eileen actually about that and talking about how lonely Tina was that season. I don't know. That just makes me sad for her. So just kind of circling back a little bit to this fantasy, the indication was that they wrote a whole script on it and it was canon as a part of the storyline. But then again, we have this conflicting information because what the hell was that interrogation tape? None of it, yeah. it all contradicts. Anyways, this episode in the, the interactions between Tina and Bet and the interaction with her parents and what Bill specifically said is supposed to give insight into why Tina was in the state of mind that she was in come season three. Because... Mm-hmm. A lot of people talk about how they can't stand season three, Tina. You know, she was a bitch. She betrayed Bet. She did this. She did that. But what I will say is I have a lot of people in my world that have very close ties with their parents. So I assume that Tina probably had to fight pretty hard to disconnect herself from her parents. Let's let's say we're going by this fantasy episode that she had this relationship with her parents. She left Georgia or no, she wouldn't have been wherever she was. She left the South somewhere, moved to California, which is much different than where she originally was from. She kind of had to make her own way. We don't know a whole lot about what her educational career was, but more than likely 
having them come back into the picture, even if it was briefly, she probably started to rethink everything. And that pressure can really dictate her decision-making. So in this particular fantasode and at some point in season three, I can't think of it offhand, but she says to Bet, I'm going to go change my daughter. It turns into this, my daughter situation, right? Right. And so I think with all of the judgment that her dad was putting on her and the fact that the situation with Bet cheating was still pretty fresh. And again, they hadn't talked about it. Yeah. There was just a lot of transition, number one, going on at that time. But Tina's was all over the place in regards to she's this brand new mother. She's jumping back into her career. She's trying to make things work with her longtime partner. But they haven't really worked through the fact that there was this huge betrayal. And then her parents come back into her life and then fly out as soon as they get there. So I say that to say that I think in Tina's mind, I think some of her motivation for also exploring this world and going back to men is because she thought that was the safest route. And she does say that about Henry, that he's safe. Yep. So am I happy about it? Am I happy about this fantasode and the fact that it contradicts the interrogation tapes and the fact that there's so many plot holes in the, the L word storyline? No. Especially when it comes to Tina. Especially when it comes to Tina. But for me, I think this makes this fanisode makes a lot more sense to me than the interrogation tape only because of the actions that we saw her follow through on in season three. I would agree with that. And I actually hadn't thought of this until you said that, but at least I know I do this. We kind of code switch around our parents, right? No matter what kind of relationship we have with them. And for Tina, I think a lot about the episode where they go to meet Marcy in person Mm -hmm. and Bet is shocked at the ignorance of these Republican people. And Tina says, welcome to the rest of America. Yep. She's used to it. And yeah. And I think Tina, if her parents had made this visit, probably had one of those moments where her life that she had built for herself Mm -hmm. in California and the rest of the world collided in a way that really freaked her out. For sure. Because I could imagine very easily that the Tina that her parents knew was way different than the Tina. Oh yeah. And there was embarrassment there for her. She was holding on to shame. Well, let's assume right. the parents didn't know that Bet cheated, but they do know that Bet is unemployed. And then right. she's getting this harsh criticism from her dad because he already doesn't agree with her lifestyle and the fact that she's in a long-term relationship with a woman. Yep. Which is interesting because I don't think that there are a ton of ways that Bet and Tina are alike. But I think when it comes to this situation, they have very similar relationships with their dads. Yes. Because Bet always tried to overcompensate for every other thing in her life. It was almost as if her drive to continually overachieve was rooted in the fact that like if she just got to a particular level or set a certain standard or, you know, raised the bar to a certain degree, that her dad was suddenly just going to accept the fact that she's gay. And it never happened. 
No. So she spent all that time. And I don't think that she would have like been some unmotivated woman. That's part of who she is, right? Like she's just very driven. But I think, especially with her dad, she always tried to put it out there that look how successful I am. Look how much I've done. I have built this great life for myself, especially in season one. We see a lot of that. So I think in that same case, I think it appears that Tina has this same negative, unaccepting relationship with her dad. Which kind of makes you wonder if that's why Melvin hurt so much. Because, I mean, obviously that would hurt no matter what your circumstances are, but Mm -hmm. there is a certain personalness to how Tina reacts to Melvin that seems like there's something a little more under the surface there. And if it was that... I could easily see Tina being like, oh, he's just my dad, but black and more liberal. Okay. I also think too that the difference between Bet having this relationship with her dad and Tina's involvement is that from what I could observe, Tina always tried to take it as like, we're in this together. Even when they were in therapy and they're asking, what's your greatest fear? Tina says, I think our biggest fear is that Melvin won't be accepting of our, of our child, that he won't right. be accepting of his grandchild. Of course, we never knew if that was the case because Angie was not born until after Melvin died. But on the flip side of that, in this fanisode, while Tina is rightfully hurt, I mean, they don't go into a lot of detail about it, but I would imagine after her parents swinging in and out of her life abruptly like that, she's very hurt. Bet is focusing a lot on how Bill came after her. Right. Because of course she is. Yeah. So while I think that Tina didn't get a lot of it right when everything went down, when she was, you know, testing the waters, when she was Lindsay 76, corresponding with daddy of two, the producer, Josh thing, Henry, she did not get it right always. But one thing that you cannot say about Tina is that she is not an empathetic person because she is. She's not just empathetic. She will put others' needs before hers. She's also an anxious person. And so I can imagine if one of my parents said that to me, if my father said that to me about my child, I have anxiety, I would spiral. Absolutely. Like for a long time. That would trigger the heck out of my anxiety. And I know that at least the way that my anxiety works, when that thought gets in there and starts to spin, it is real hard to stop it. And it gets to a certain point where it just snowballs into an avalanche. And so I can see Tina being like, oh my God, thinking all of these irrational things, like, am I not providing for my child? Oh my God, is she going to be you know, screwed up because she does have all these differences. Do I need to be with a man to give her stability and to be a good mom? And that doesn't make it right. And it doesn't make me happy about it, but it does make it make more sense, I think. Mm -hmm. The last thing I'll say, and again, there is this new couple that's introduced in this fantasy. I'm just kind of looking at the details of it right now. At the very about them. At the very end of the episode, there's this dispute between one of the women and, and Bet, and Bet ends up kicking them out. And so they have Bet and Tina have this exchange right at the end where Bet says, I can't believe that. Tina says, No, I really can't. And she says, The nerve of Carrie. 
which is funny that her name is Carrie. <laughs> the nerve of Carrie. Bet that's not the first time you're going to say that. Or the last, I should say. It might be the first. It's not going to be the last. Tina said, actually, I was talking about you. Bet said what? And she said, Bet, I think she has a point. You can't wait around forever for the perfect job. And so, of course, Bet gets very defensive about that. Like, Tina, you know how important it is for me to have a job I'm passionate about and da 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 and she said, I know you do, but all your love isn't going to put clothes on her back, is it? And that's when Tina says, I'm going to go change my daughter. And that's the turning point, which explains a lot of Tina's animosity towards Bet in season three, because she just won't make the move. Right. And Bet will not sacrifice anything she wants in order to make the money that they need to support not only their lifestyle, but also their child. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that Beth does actually make an attempt as that this ongoing fight is happening with them. She makes an attempt and she sells some of her artwork. But here we are again. They don't talk about it. Nope. So meanwhile, Tina's accepting a whole job because she has no idea that Beth made this sacrifice, which is a huge sacrifice for Beth that she gave yes. up. Art that was really important to her. Anyway, talk about this for a long time, but we'll link this fanisode. You can read the script. There's other aspects to it too. It's a whole L word episode. It's not just Tina and Beth, though. This particular portion that was reposted by another person in the fandom is they just took out the Tina and Beth parts. Anywho, what is your thought? I'll put it in the episode description too, but I feel like I should flag that this is maybe where we're going to start talking about this. So trigger warning for sexual assault, because I will say that I... And this could just totally be me projecting. I don't know. But I do think the one thing from the interrogation tape that makes a lot of sense to me is that there was some kind of abuse in Tina's past. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't expecting it to be sexual abuse. I wasn't expecting it to be by her sister of all people. Mm -hmm. But there was something, even in the season one dynamic between Tina and Bette, and just watching Tina's reactions that just screamed abuse victim to me. Not by bet, but there was some trauma there. Sure. I feel like. And holding on to that secret, because it's my impression from the way that Tina talks about it, that she had buried that so deeply, mm -hmm. she did not even remember that it happened until she and Jenny were on set one night and got super wine drunk. And my imagining of how that went is that Jenny probably told Tina about her experience sure. and it just triggered something in Tina. And she was like, oh my God, that happened to me with my sister. I don't know. I think it's just, it's a part of her backstory that I feel like makes a lot of sense to me and makes mm -hmm. her a more three-dimensional character. And whatever, the stuff about her parents is weird and you can take or leave it and the fantasode wakes, makes way more sense in that case. So again, you know, we kind of have to stitch together, okay, we're going to take this from the fantasode and this yeah. from the interrogation tape. Yeah. And, but I would also like to make very, very clear, I'm only a little bit salty about this, that is sexual assault. Absolutely. And I am saying this because somebody keeps changing it on Tina's Wikipedia page to say that it was an incestuous relationship mm -hmm. with her sister. It was not a relationship. It was sexual assault. She was 11 years old. 
I highly doubt the person who keeps changing Tina's Wikipedia page is listening to this podcast because I clearly hate her more than anything. Mm -hmm. But if for some reason you are, fucking stop it, please. Sure. Anyway. So I'll share. And I, I think it's important to know, I'm glad that Taylor brought up the fact that there's a trigger warning here because while there are a lot of really fun aspects to this couple and this show, there are some really serious topics that get brought up too. And along the way, because we're the hosts and this is our deal, like you're going to learn about us too. Mm -hmm. So while I cannot relate a ton to Tina and Beth's life experience at large, this particular experience speaks to me because mm -hmm. I was in a situation when I was younger where I also was taken advantage of sexually abused by two different people that were close to my age. Therefore... It wasn't until I was a grown adult that I even realized that it was sexual abuse. Yeah. So I can relate to Tina in even the way that she talks about it because you want to give that person a pass. They didn't know any better. We were young. She says, I just thought that was something that kids do, but it's not. It's not something that kids do. And the fact of the matter is, is that for anyone out there who is and has been in a situation where they were sexually abused especially when you're a child. Not that it's not relevant to your history if it's happened to you as an adult, but when you are a child and you have a sexual experience so young, it has the ability to really mess up how you perceive sex, how you perceive love, and how you function in your romantic relationships moving forward. So I think I agree with you in that Tina very much has that and again, I can relate to it. You you call it middle child energy. I can yeah. totally uh, relate to that because I'm a middle child. She very much, because she has it in her friend group and in her relationship with Bet, and she probably had it within her immediate family when she was younger. She is the emotional pulse on everybody, right? Like yeah. she's the one that wants to make sure that everyone's good. That's one of the first lines that she says in the pilot. I, I just want to make, make sure, sure that we're good. good. Yeah. yeah, that's her concern. And that stems from something. It may not have been sexual abuse. It could have been physical abuse. It could have been a very severe emotional abuse. But somewhere along the way, she picked up the responsibility that she has to make sure that everybody is okay. When her and Better having an affair in season five, I swear to God, Tina cared more about how Jody was going to react to it than Bet even did. Yep. I'm pretty sure every time they talk about it, Tina's the one that brings Jody up. <laughs> Even at the end of the honey, honey scene, when Beth sits up and she's about to leave Tina's house, Beth's thinking that Tina's going to say, I love you. She mouths, I love you. Because that's what she thinks she's going to hear from Tina. And what does Tina say? Jody would be <laughs> devastated. Yeah. You knew. Yeah. She so, takes on everyone's emotions. 100%. And I think that's part of the reason that Tina hate bothers me so much is because there's a lot of that that I can relate to. Mm -hmm. You know, again, like Brittany said, you're going to learn about us. I, for various reasons, similar and not, have also kind of conditioned myself to be that way. Mm -hmm. And it takes so much fucking strength that you do not even realize that you are giving away until something happens that kind of forces you to let it go. Mm-hmm. So to me, because I've been in similar situations, I look at Tina and I think, 
holy Christ, is that woman strong? Yeah. And so when people are like, oh, she's boring, she's whiny, she's weak. I'm like, did we watch the same show? And yeah. maybe it's because those people don't have the experiences that I do that give me kind of that insight into Tina. And that's fine. But yeah. I think it's an important thing to, to mention that, like you said, that no child just picks up that responsibility without someone else who should have been carrying it dropping the ball. Mm -hmm. So I have this discussion often with the people that I work with. I am a social worker. So, so many of us are in situations where we ended up coming into this profession because we want to be the person that we didn't have. Mm -hmm. Like we want to be for someone who we never had when we were younger. And so I think what's important to recognize is that this is just me getting on my soapbox a little bit on mental health and I, I will, I will jump off quickly, but honest to God, when you take inventory of people in your life, you have to look closest at the ones that are strong and the ones that are always making sure that things are good and everybody's good and everybody's taken care of because more times than not, those are the people that are either the most deeply depressed the most burnt out, the most overwhelmed, but they're not going to ask for help in the same way that someone different than them would. I'll come off of my, my soapbox now. Can I on. love your soapbox. <laughs> can move on to something a little bit more lighthearted. This took a serious turn that I, I knew we were going to be fine with our bullet points. This is in the direction that we were going. <laughs> I think it's an important part of her backstory. Sure. Tina being an abuse victim casts her in a very different light. And I guess the reason that I, I don't want to say dwell on it because that has kind of a negative connotation, but the reason that I bring it up and kind of wanted to put it into focus for a segment or whatever mm -hmm. is because both as an abuse victim myself and just knowing all of this, it just, it makes a lot of pieces click. Absolutely. It does. Okay. On a lighter note. On a lighter abortion. note. No, I don't know. Note, on a lighter note, Brenda taught Tina how to dirty talk. So <laughs> on another note, Tina doesn't have a bad sex scene in the show. So very true. let's just put that out there. Even when her and Shane are briefly hooking up in a hypothetical situation when they're running through the possibilities in, in Lego of who can, you know, get together. Mm-hmm. There's not a bad one. I will die on that hill. I will die on it with you. So <laughs> I think we should talk about the significance of Bette being the first woman that she was ever with. Because mm -hmm. I think that's big. Your thoughts? Well, I think it's a big deal. I think to myself, wow, what an introduction into yeah, really. the, lesbian, the lesbian lifestyle that she had, right? But I also think that for as much as we drag Bet, because we do, let's just put it out there, we do. Bet and Tina go so well together because they are so different. Mm -hmm. Okay. In Bet's weakest areas, I feel like Tina's the strongest and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of what we see in season six is that they both start to have confidence in areas where we didn't really see before. Bet learns to be more present. Tina learns to stand up for herself more. 
she even kind of learns that more as we go like season four when they're writing about preschools and she says I'm not gonna let your psycho dysfunction you know stress our daughter out before she's even three years old like good for Tina for sticking up yeah. against that because it's the truth right and again even when they're not together, Tina has a lot of confidence in Bet because she's letting Bet now raise Angie alone. And so I think that all things considered, even though sometimes I really want to strangle Bet often, they still belong together. Absolutely. And they're still the most dynamic couple I've ever seen on TV. Hands down. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on her? first relationship being with that being her first you know first woman that she was ever with being that yeah it's interesting because I feel like a I think it's very significant to who Tina is as a person that the thing that she really hits on when she's describing what she noticed about that when she first met her was that she was warm she uses the word warm Mm-hmm. Which is interesting to me because you can see in those flashbacks that we get in that season one episode, she is. And I have many questions about whether that was gallery owner, I have to be in this mode to do my job bet, or whether she was really like that. Mm-hmm. seven years ago before the start of the series she seems a lot softer bet does mm-hmm. when they meet and so it's just kind of interesting to me to wonder because to me that's when I love bet the most and I think it's when Tina loves bet the most too is Thanks. when those layers get peeled away mm-hmm. and just that warm vibrant very fragile person mm-hmm. is left and I just kind of wonder when did the walls come back up and why I think too that while my favorite times have seen better when she's soft too like when she's really just emotionally intimate with Tina that's like when she's at her best I feel there's also a very endearing quality about watching Tina talk about the early days with Beth you see it when she tells the story in season one to Jenny and Shane and Alice, and you see it when she talks to Angie in Gen Q. You can tell that Tina just will always value and hold near to her heart that time in her history. Again, mm-hmm. whether her and better together or not, because we know even when they're apart, Tina still has a lot of love for Beth. Yeah, I mean, she like turns back into that person mm-hmm. almost for a second. Like she turns into that butterflies in your stomach, flushed face. Oh my God, I think I'm falling for someone new. She even looks younger to me, both in season one and in Gen Q. Her entire demeanor shifts. And so I think you're right. I think it's really significant for her. And I think we also see a lot of the same softness. We see remnants of the softness of what probably drew Tina to Bet early on. In season four, when they're at the club, it's when Kit's performing and Bet is singing Tina's praises. Yes. And there is, between both of them, this very intense, but just soft connection that they have. Like you just want to like bottle it up and hold on because it's just so sweet. Also, very briefly, going to put on my, my nerd hat. They did that visually 
in those flashback scenes. If you look at the lighting of those flashbacks, it's like fuzzy around the edges. Everything's a little soft and a little bright. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's interesting when you go back and you watch that because it almost feels like a dream. And I think part of that is we are literally in Tina's memory. (laughs) And part of that is that days that you are kind of in with that you know, new love feeling. Mm -hmm. And so I realized that you do not need to be a film and TV professional to pick up on that. It's pretty obvious. But just to point it out there that sometimes lighting designers and editors actually know what they're doing. I can appreciate that flashback scene so much. And I can appreciate the intimacy that Bette and Tina have. They seem to find it time and again again, right? There's not always that first love, butterflies in your stomach, everything's a little bit brighter, food tastes better, you know, the right. sky is blue. Life isn't always that way, but I do feel like, even speaking from personal experience, that when you're with the person that you're meant to be with, in the rarest of times, in the most spontaneous of moments, those feelings will just hit you again. Yeah. And the beauty that we see so much in Tina and Bep is it's like that is always almost at the forefront for them and sometimes it can get lost it can get lost in real life shit and and things like that but when we see them at their best that's what they're sharing it's like they only see each other I mean they do a good job of also like visually showing that when Bep shows up at Phyllis's party in season five and Tina looks over and sees her no one's seen Tina leave No one seen Bet show up. As soon as Bet walked in the door, they were gone. I think that's really telling. Okay, I have two more things that I want to talk about, and then I promise I'll shut up. Um, I don't have to promise anything. I'm wide awake now. Okay, I guess we should do the sadder one first, so we can end on not as sad a note. Sure. Can we talk about Tina's cancer scare? Yeah. Because they just slip that in there. In like a one-off line. Again, it Bet. comes out of Bet's mouth. I don't know why. Well, yes, I do. Because of course, Tina's backstory comes out of Bet's mouth. Well, and one of my favorite parts of that scene, no, my favorite part of that scene is when Helena is like, yeah, I, I concur. Like, I know that to be true, that she has that scar. You can barely see it. I didn't know. And the glare that Bet gives Helena in that moment And I think the reason why I love it so much is because I have a little bit of a soft spot for Helena and Tina. Now I have have a big soft spot for them. I think that Helena is exactly, we've talked about this thing that Helena is exactly who Tina needed in that moment of time, no doubt. But I love a jealous Bette Porter and you can tell she was jealous in that moment that Helena even had the nerve to bring it up. And you can tell Helena is treading so lightly because she like, just got invited into the friend group five seconds before that anyway yeah, you can like, literally see the fear in <laughs> helena's face like yes. oh shit i forgot i'm supposed to be nice to you now um <laughs> for those of you who might have missed it the line that we are referring to is it must be pretty early in season three because i think bet and tina are still together Mm -hmm. and so they like just found out that Dana is going for a lumpectomy and Bet says oh Tina had a lumpectomy you can barely see the scar and that's when Helena says yeah you're right (laughs) which is a hilarious moment and I love it and it like you said it gives me so much life but it's interesting to me that 
in the hilarity of that moment, they completely brush over the fact that Tina had a cancer scare. Yeah. What? And again, we never hear about it because it's Tina. We also, like, we also don't talk about the fact that we almost, the way they tell it, at least in the way we see it, is that Tina took a very scary turn after giving birth to Angie. Yes. Where's the backstory on that, Eileen? We deserve <laughs> to know more because we nearly left the second season thinking that Tina died because yeah. they just pan to the hospital room with Bet holding the baby. Where's Tina? So shame on them for scaring us like that. Number two, I will give them just a snippet of grace because I think what happened was that Laurel ended up having Lola. And I think that's kind of why they had to do that whole scene where the season ends like that. Yeah. But they could have talked about it at the beginning of season three. Yeah. I mean, they're literally rushing her to the ICU I think even when they're like, where's Tina? She's still in the ICU, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Bet says that she's stable or something, but yeah, she's still that, pretty critical. Like, at that point, she hadn't even held Angie. Every single person in their friend group held Angie before Tina did, which is bullshit. Yeah, it is. I understand the logistics, Eileen, but it's still bullshit. For a series that has 70 episodes and managed to go into depth of characters that were not even around for the entire series. I'm thinking of, of characters like Max and Tasha yep. and even Marina. She was only around for one season, but we find out a lot about her. I mean, we find out about Jody's first girlfriend. Like Tina is the only main character who never has a parent appear in the series. And not just a main character. She is second on the motherfucking cast list okay yes. and it goes jennifer beals laurel holloman yeah and i don't know if you guys know this but this is actually something in the industry there's something called a call sheet which is basically lists all the cast they all have a number it's used so that you can sort out who's in what scene and schedule shit and crap like that but usually the way that it works is that the higher your number on the call sheet the more you get paid Mm. and all, obviously it's also a status thing you know yeah. one I, is usually the quote-unquote main character yeah unless it is something like this where it's like jennifer just had so much more clout than the rest of them i guess but for laurel to be second on the call sheet is very significant yeah absolutely that reminded me when you mentioned money, when you mentioned salary, that reminded me of the preview that we saw before Laurel was on the pants pod and Leisha and Kate are talking, they're talking on Zoom and they're, Leisha's holding up a picture of like, it's a character picture of the first season cast of The L Word. And so it's got Tina and Bet and Shane and Dana and Alice and I think Jenny and Marina are on there. I don't know if Tim is on there or not or whatever. And I think Kate asked like, why are we so little? Alicia <laughs> says, I think this was made based on like if the bigger you were, like the higher your salary was. Yeah. 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 So like it's just so bizarre to have your number two on the call sheet have no backstory, but to have like three through twelve have more info. It just it's it's just weird. Eileen Shaken, if you're listening to this, 
which I know you're not, but if you are, if first you of all, someone who knows Eileen and can get her a message to us. Get, first get of a, all, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm really sorry. Yeah. Second of all, I just want to know why. Yeah. It's interesting because there's this comment that every time I go back and I rewatch Tina's interrogation tape, I look at because I think about it all the fucking time. And this person said, wait, they had six years to make Tina an interesting character and they only did it now. And as much as I hate the implication of Tina not being interesting, the point is valid. Why would you wait? Laurel and Leash and Kate were kind of joking about this on the pants pod that none of the characters on the L word were anyone's wife, but Tina kind of was. Oh yeah. Because her story, again, even the little details that we learn about her backstory come out of Bette's mouth. Sure. And I realize that when you have a quote-unquote star in your cast, their character is going to get more attention. Mm -hmm. That is going to happen. That's just how it works. Sure. However, that should have changed after the first season. And the fact that it just never came up it just baffles me. Mm -hmm. It's just genuinely very confusing to me because even taking my number one Tina Stan hat off for a second, it's just a weird thing. Yeah. It's weird to not give one of your main characters any sort of backstory whatsoever. And I think that that is probably why people think she's boring because we know nothing about her. And while we're calling out showrunners i need to get into the mic closer to this one if you're, if you're marja lewis ryan listening to this somehow or someone could get a message to her whatever you are paying laurel holloman to come back for gen q season two double it because she deserves all the money and more she does it's true it's very true and she saved your ass on getting a season two okay that's, that's also very true we'll say about that anyway one last thing that I want to talk about, and it sort of <laughs> relates to this, is there's this comment, again in season three, I'm just noticing now that all of these weird little bet Tina backstory comments are in season three, but she makes this interesting comment when uh, they're wedding dress shopping with Carmen, uh -huh. and Bet says something about how oh, they were talking about getting married Mm -hmm. But Tina didn't want to, quote, cleave to the heterosexual paradigm. I have so many questions. Like, can we just unpack that for a minute? What? I just, I don't, I have nothing. This is why I bring up this plot point, because it seems very inconsistent with Tina's character. Well, because at the end of the series, when Bette proposes, Tina's over the moon. Yeah. And she kind of has like, this look like, oh my God, I never thought you would propose. Yeah. Like she's looking like she's on cloud nine. There's no yeah. hesitancy. She's not like, mm, mm, I know I, I said I didn't want to, but yeah. 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 No, it's just immediately boom. Yep. Let's do this. Yeah. Yeah. Biggest smile on her face. And. Again, if you think about what we were talking about earlier, even though obviously gay marriage was still not legal for everybody at the time, mm -hmm. you know, the political and legal landscape was very complicated. I feel like for Tina, 
actually being married would give her kind of like a legal stability that would assure her sort of conservative anxiety. Not that I actually believe that this is true, but it would make it feel more quote unquote legitimate. Sure. So I guess to me, I just can't see Tina being like, Bet I don't want to cleave to the heterosexual paradigm. She didn't even know she was gay until she met Bet. Like, well, and another reason it doesn't make sense is a she's so over the moon about marrying Bet at the end of season six. Which, okay, let's let's give her a pass. Bet and her have been together forever. If she was ever going to marry anybody, of course it would be Bet. Right. Then she gets a divorce, and just a couple of years later, she says yes to marrying Carrie. Yeah. Again, but I've said it before. It. I've said it before, I'll say it again. The divorce makes sense to me, Carrie does not. No, it doesn't. If anything, I could have seen Bet in a relationship before Tina. Yeah. In Engaged before Tina. That would have made sense to me more than Tina being with Carrie. Yeah. I could see Tina finding someone. Yeah. Sure, whatever. Being engaged? I'm sorry, it took you and Bet the better part of two decades. You've known this person for maybe a little over a year. If there was some, like, they were friends or whatever before they got divorced. So we know that Carrie is a lawyer. Yes. I swear to Christ, if we find out that Carrie was Tina's divorce lawyer, I'm flying my ass to California in TP in Marja Lewis Ryan's house. I swear to Christ that's happening. Brittany, Brittany, let me ask you something. Why the fuck would you put that idea out into the ether? <laughs> because I'm trying to think how would Tina have met someone new so soon after getting a divorce from Bet? Maybe she went on the dating apps. Yeah. Well, because here's the thing is that like the only thing that's making me go nah is that we specifically know that Carrie is a public defender. Ah, uh, sure, sure, sure. I mean... It's the L word. Who knows? They could retcon her being a public defender and be like, hey, let's make her Tina's divorce lawyer. That's juicy because the plot is made up and backstory doesn't matter. I also just want to know when we're going to get a trailer. Like, when do you think that we'll see even a glimpse of what's to come? By my guess, they're probably close to halfway through filming the second season. Yeah, I would I would guess there's two possibilities. Either we will get it decently soon once they reach the midpoint. Mm -hmm. Or we have to wait until they wrap, which would Mm -hmm. suck. Yeah, that would suck. I mean, I guess it also depends, A, if they're taking like a mid-season break at all. Mm -hmm. And also how quickly they think they can get them out. Like, it, it depends on a lot of Showtime network shit. Sure. Like, how are they planning on releasing them? Do they want to release them 10 weeks in a row? Are they going to do five and then, you know, have a couple of weeks where it's off and then do the rest of the five? So I don't know, basically. I hope, I think there's been enough demand for it that it would warrant at least like a teaser trailer. Sure. Which are, you know, like 20, 30 seconds long. Right. They have enough footage for that by now. Yeah. So, yeah. Unfortunately, I think it's up to Showtime, which I um, hate. Dear whoever is running the Showtime L Word account. 
We have really high hopes that a lot of important people are listening to this podcast. The the notoriety and the fame <laughs> might be getting to our head already. <laughs> We've released one episode so far. <laughs> Recording episode. <laughs> And we totally think that the entire casting crew are listening and the Showtime executives. We are acting like we are running a podcast for NPR at this point. Tonight in Serial. (laughs) (laughs) The way that we are calling it very specific. If Eileen's, if either one of her twin daughters are listening in tonight... If uh, Lola and Nala are, are <laughs> can you get a message to your mom? Oh God! Wow. <laughs> oh, there were some tears there. Oh my goodness! Wow. So, who, who, you have anything you else you want? Were you talking to the art department at Showtime? Who were you trying to get a message to? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was actually talking to the people in charge of Showtime. Okay. Oh, so the I was aiming for the very top, Brittany. <laughs> Well, no, I wasn't aiming for the very top. I was aiming for whoever's in charge of scheduling. But I don't even remember what I was going to ask them to do now. This is a good place to wrap. This is a yeah. good place to just call it. Yeah, I think, I think we're good. Basically, Tina Kennard deserves the world. And I love her very much. And, and I would die for her, basically. Yeah. That's, that's and cool. I'm very excited to see Laurel come back in season two. Me too. I think equally as much as I can't wait to see a Tibet scene, I cannot wait to see a scene, a true full scene with her, with Tina, Bet, and Angie. Yes, I'm please. So looking forward to that. Yes. So this has been episode four of All Things Tibet, the analysis, all things Tina. I'm Brittany. I'm Taylor. And we'll see you next week. episode of all things tibet podcast hosted by taylor and Brittany. at this time we do not have any sponsorships but if you're interested in sponsoring us please send us an email at all things tibet at gmail.com we can be found on instagram twitter and facebook under all things tibet podcast and you can check out our main podcast profile at anchor.fm slash all things tibet We post new episodes every Tuesday, and we send all of our love to the Tibet fandom for their support during this time as we get this brand new podcast off the ground. We will see you next week.